I'm a strong believer that actually in any place in the world, if you get to align the point of view of governments, of the corporate community, the business community, but also of philanthropy, NGOs, social entrepreneurs, and civil society. And if you do a good job defining again, what is it that is the most precious thing that all those entities should work on together? You could draw a positive impact. It takes a lot of leadership. It takes a lot of, I would say, positive energy to, to propagate and alignment. But I think that's worth really working on that. And despite the challenges you may have on the way, I think you'll find a lot of appetite for a number of people and leaders to step up and do more together. Jean-Philippe Courtois is the Executive Vice President and President of the National Transformation Partnerships at Microsoft. His focus is on transforming national economies, helping to create sustainable and inclusive economic growth through digital transformation, one country at a time. JP, as he is commonly known, is also passionate about promoting the concept of positive leadership. How purpose-led leaders can generate a positive energy that achieves greater commercial success, individual happiness, team well-being, and positive societal impact. And he's also the host of the Positive Leadership Podcast. We've been waiting for a long time to have this conversation with JP and are so happy that you're here to join us for this very insightful conversation as we learn more about JP on his journey at Microsoft and purposeful leadership. So let's dive right in. Hi, this is Janice. And I'm Sarah N. And we're your hosts for Explore This, a podcast for the modern day working professional. Each week, we explore actionable insights on how you can thrive personally and professionally. Welcome, JP, to the Explore This podcast. And I believe you're dialing in all the way from Paris to have this conversation with us. And we're very grateful for your time. Thank you so much for having me on Explore This. <laughs> well, JP, we first connected in person at the Microsoft Malaysia office back in June 2022, quite a number of months ago, when you had a Te Tarik session with us. And I'm so glad that I reached out to you to invite you on our podcast. So let's get this conversation started. JP, as a veteran leader at Microsoft with a career spanning almost 40 years, would love to know these questions and I'm sure that our audience would love to hear as well. What did you foresee your career trajectory to look like when you first started out working? And how did you actually end up where you are today? Walk us down memory lane. It all started back in 1982. I was actually still at business school. And at the time, a very good friend of mine and both of us decided to join as project leads. We did join a software startup. And to be clear at the time, software was super new. I'll come back to that. And so I work actually as the marketing sales lead and kind of design lead of a new software package. It was an accounting package what we call these days an ERP for the Apple II. You are not born, actually, Sarah Han, you are not born, but Apple II has been the ancestor to the IBM PC and then, of course, to the PC and the personal device. And it was a wonderful time where for two years, my friend and myself, we basically created from scratch the first kind of package software to enable small businesses to make sense of numbers. At the time, it seemed ridiculous for you Whereas the spreadsheets were barely existing, almost not existing. And so any small business was doing its accounting with paper and notebooks or was spending a lot of money 
to some, you know, accountants and a lot of IT companies to do that electronically, but you have to pay a faulty to it. Long story short, we did that for two years and I got in love with the software industry, which was nation at the time, you know, Microsoft actually, <laughs> which I met a few years later through Headhunter, figured out that I was one of the few, I guess, been spending some time with software. <laughs> they called me and they said, oh, we got this nice startup, American startup establishing itself in France. Okay. It was in 1984. And they'd like to meet you. I said, well, Microsoft, that sounds interesting. And Microsoft at the time, by the way, was like a thousand people globally. Okay. So a very small company to start. And so I was, I was interviewed there. And, and the reason I joined Microsoft really was about three things. Well, number one, to be clear, it was all about the mission of the company. At the time, the mission of Microsoft was the vision that would be uh, a PC on every, on every desk in every home one day. It was, of course, the vision shaped by Bill Gates, our co-founder of Microsoft. And that was to me so appealing because, of course, uh, I got already uh, very much knowledgeable about software and what difference it could make the thing in the world. And number two, I met with some amazing people. Uh, at the end of the day, it's about people. And the people I met at the time, the sales manager of Microsoft France and the GM, general manager of Microsoft France, were wonderful people. And after just one day of interviews, I just joined the company. And the rest is history in terms of why, why I joined that industry. That's very cool. And it's amazing to see in about 38 years how far that has come and how true so far the vision still holds true for the company as a whole. Fast forward now, you know, it's great that you took us through memory lane and we have like that context of how you came into the world of Microsoft. And now you currently hold the position as the Executive Vice President and President of National Transformation Partnerships. Very briefly, could you just share with our audience what that looks like on a day-to-day -day basis for you? This is obviously a new role I created after leading all commercial business five years before. This is a threefold role, really. One is shaping what we call National Transformation Partnerships, which are Really, the ways we enable one country at a time to enable those countries or Microsoft operates through an inclusive, but also sustainable development growth using technology, but adding on top of technology or partnerships to skilling people for great jobs, to enable companies and public sector in every country in the world to really elevate sustainability and use of all data assets, platform capabilities to do better from a sustainability standpoint or from a social impact standpoint as well. And last point as well, do a great job partnering on several security. So that's in a nutshell, the core national transformation partnership. I'm also doing an initiative on, um, with our senior talents to coach them, particularly on what I love in leadership and the school of food, I'm sure we may discuss later, called positive leadership. And, and last but not least, I just launched six months ago, a new initiative called entrepreneurship or positive impact where I'm partnering with social entrepreneurs, but also tech startups that have a positive impact in the world, their solutions, to get them to amplify and scale up with the Microsoft ecosystem and technology. So on a day-to-day -day basis, back to your question, I will be meeting either, you know, as an example, as visiting Malaysia, <laughs> I, I was meeting with all of our key stakeholders in the country. I'm meeting with some of the ministries to actually discuss our partnerships and scaling millions of people in the country of tech capabilities also met with social entrepreneurs in Malaysia to make sure we could actually get to support them and have a, have a positive impact 
I met with a few large customers. Well, again, we discussed all those angles of partnership to transform the country. So that would be the way I would spend some of my time. And, and I will also spend time again on coaching leaders at Microsoft, talents, but also the new generation, like what we call the Microsoft Aspire Hires, the youngest ones who joined the company. And, you know, making sure I bring that element of the culture of Microsoft, which, which I think is, is key in terms of you know, nurturing the growth mindset, the customer obsession, and, and living really a diverse, inclusive culture all across the globe. So that, that's what we do every day. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. What has been the most challenging part about your role so far? It's an interesting question, good question, actually. I've got this role for a year now. The first thing is really, in a way, working with people and all stakeholders on their mindset, on a collective mindset. At the end of the day, the world is going through many challenges that I'm sure you can relate to. We talk about, of course, of energy crisis. We talk about a world, even in Europe these days, that's actually very scary. We talk about, of course, sustainability in a big way. We talk about digital and tech and the way tech should play a, a bigger, better role. And we talk about leadership as well. I think what the biggest sign is really to, to actually project a positive outcome for the vast, because you could be, you know, it could be really depressed with all those big issues coming your way as a citizen, as a leader, depending on what you do in society or in your, in your jobs. But I think what is exciting is actually to try to make sense of potential solutions by partnering across the different stakeholders. I'm a strong believer that actually in any place in the world, if you get to align the point of view of governments, of the corporate community, the business community, but also of philanthropy, NGOs, social entrepreneurs, and civil society, and if you do a good job defining again, what is it that is the most precious thing that all those entities should work on together, you could draw a positive impact. It takes a lot of leadership. It takes a lot of, I would say, positive energy to, to propagate and alignment. But I think that's worth really working on that. And despite the challenges you may have on the way, I think you'll find a lot of appetite for a number of people and leaders to step up and do more together. JP, I also have to say that the fact that you made time to come all the way to Malaysia back in June and really helping us as a country to elevate and putting us on the map, you know, it really speaks of the potential that we have in our nation. We want to hear a little bit more from you from a career perspective. And, you know, we speak about Janice and myself being early in career professionals. And, you know, quite frankly, in our generation, sticking to one company like you have for more than three decades is quite a feat already, you know? Not that yeah. my generation necessarily identifies as the snowflake generation, although we've heard that said before. But let's be honest, you know, we are very keen to explore what's out there for us that is always aligned to our purpose, our values. And you speak about that a lot as well. And more importantly, we're always looking for opportunities that can challenge us and grow us. It's not just always about the money nowadays. And you spoke about the clarity that you had 40 years ago when you were looking for a company to join. You wanted to make sure it's aligned to your purpose and your value. So maybe you can dive a little bit more and share with our listeners about what was that North Star and guiding principle of your careers as you move from one role to another within the same organization across the past 40 years. It's, uh, it's only an exciting question, yes, Mr. Rada. You're right. I'm really atypical, right? In the sense that 
you cannot find any more of anyone spending like almost 40 years in the same company. That sounds like crazy, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I think the reason I did that is indeed because I could feel, feel like a lot of, a lot of the values of in myself and, uh, and really that helped me a lot to redefine my North Star on my own journey. Because the reality, I don't believe we're one North Star when we wake up or, you know, after you graduate from studies at 20 years or whatever, and then you have the same North Star your whole life. I'm not sure that's the case. The reality is you've got probably in yourself a number of key, I would say, drivers of what drives you to bring your best. In my case, a few things that you know, we have stayed the same along many, many years. What is passion? I'm someone who is passionate and I would hate to spend time on things, activities, meeting with people who don't drive my energy level up in a good way, okay, the positive way, and also in a way that is not going to help me learn more. So something I've always been looking for while Microsoft and outside of Microsoft in my social life, personal life, is to learn from any opportunity. And of course, in my professional career, well, being at the core of a company that has, <laughs> that has actually achieved a big part of that initial vision I was talking about. Not all, because for sure, there's still people who don't have a device in every home in the, in the world, for sure. But we've been at the core of the de democratization of software for billions of people on the planet. Pretty amazing to see the impact you can have. So that's a fair element, I would say, my North Star, so I define it this way is having an impact, a positive impact with the unique power that you have through a platform called Microsoft. Microsoft is a platform, not just from a tech standpoint, Microsoft is a platform from an achievement standpoint. It's a platform of connecting ecosystems of tons of customers, of partners, of governments, as I said, NGOs and others who can build amazing set of solutions together with our platform to achieve more. So those have been, I would say, the, the core elements of the motivation of my North Star to go from one place to another place. I was, I was just thinking in my head about Montinabalu that I was climbing a few months ago in your beautiful country. That was another moment anyway, my journey of a very specific, very special summit in Malaysia. We'll come there shortly, JP. Okay. Thanks for sharing with us about the key drivers that has driven your 40-year-long career. I think that's super impressive. And to echo what Sarah said, it is something that's quite rare in this time that we live in today. But I think more importantly, whether it's 40 years or whether it's four years, what I'm taking away is that it's clear to know what is it that gives you energy, what is it that drives you, where it is that you can derive learnings from. And on that note of learnings, you know, we are very curious to also hear from you what would you say was a difficult lesson in leadership that you had to learn? And if there's any tangible examples that you can share with us to help inspire us and to pick that lesson and translate it into our own career lives. No, for sure. Many, many moments of solitude in a way, my career as well, of mistakes, failures, and, and huge learning, because that's the way I've been always trying to reflect on some challenges I had. One of such Stories, of course, which is still very present in my mind is when I was a general manager of Microsoft France. So I was many years back, <laughs> I used to run the Microsoft subsidiary in my home country in France. 
at the time, we had a very, a very special routine, I would say, a core traditional company. We were reviewing the business halfway through the year. We actually called that a major review. That was a huge process where, at the time, you had actually the, the global sales leader and the CEO visiting the subsidiaries in the world. I mean, many of them and spending a day reviewing everything from A to Z in incredible number of details because Microsoft is a very much data-led company. We love data that <laughs> goes all back all the way to Bill Gates himself, to Steve Ballmer and many other people. But so I remember vividly at the time where I was a GM, a young GM, I was ju uh, just being named GM of France, and I was presenting Microsoft France performance and future to Steve Ballmer. Steve Ballmer became the CEO of Microsoft a few years after that. <laughs> and, and I'll tell you, that was a very challenging moment because at the time we actually were cutting the prices of products because all prices were not aligned globally. We are not yet fully globalized the company. So, you know, we in France had high prices, which was wonderful. At one point with the EU convergence, we had to align our prices with our friends across Europe, which meant a pretty steep decline of our price. With that, I was presenting a forecast, which was not exciting. It was actually shrinking the business by a few points, which is like, wow, shocking. So we had nine, 10 hours of intense presentations and exchanges. Really intense because, as I told you, Steve loves numbers. And he was asking one, two, three, five, 10 questions in a row to make sure he got to the bottom of the issue, bottom of the understanding of the data, of the market, of the share, what we did. And, and you know, we had all that intense moment with all my leadership team in, in a very small room with Steve is pretty, uh, you know, pretty imposing person in front of you, uh, very nice, good, strong voice as well from time to time. And, and as I was wrapping up the day, I said, well, okay, JP, I was talking myself, right? With my inner voice. That's probably your last day in the company <laughs> because I don't think Steve liked the plan and liked where we're going. And so when Steve actually wrapped up, you know, was still, of course, he said, well, certainly not that excited about the forecast, but I'm actually extremely supportive of the plan you are building to come back on track. And JP, I trust you. I trust that you're going to turn the business back. You're great. Perhaps, and you can be the leader with all of your team to make that happen. And that moment to me was an incredible moment of not just encouragement, of work, of motivation to go and do a lot more because it was a sign of confidence at the times of, well, where you could, and I've seen many leaders from time to time, jumping to conclusions and really not helping someone were some challenges, but Steve decided to bet on me, to bet on what he thought was behind the worlds, the arguments and the plan, to bet on my leadership, to get things back. And the good news, of course, I was able to get things back on track six, nine months on the run, which this is where I'm still here after a few years. But this moment really had shown me the incredible power of a positive reinforcement from leadership. And not in a naive way, but in a very specific way and because it doesn't mean you don't tell people what is not going well, by the way, okay? <laughs> you do both, but you show a very strong sign of support 
of confidence and trust for the future. And that, that stay with me. And of course, I've tried to myself use kind of the same to make sure in some tough moments, which we all face, professional life, personal life, I could stay somehow more optimist and I would be also the voice of the confidence so that people, you know, getting out the meaning or one-on-one, sometimes very tense, would have actually a, a real sense of motivation of what is the next step after that. At the end of the day, the voice of confidence given by a leader, especially during turbulent times, it really does speak volumes and it's evident through this leadership lesson that you've learned all these years later. And we'd love to touch a little bit more on the topic that you're very passionate about and that we've connected over as well on positive psychology as well as purposeful leadership. And your podcast, Positive Leadership, which Janice and myself tune into as well, is where you discuss positive leadership and share stories with purpose-led leaders who are generating positive energy, also a core tenet of Microsoft Values. And they are the ones that achieves both commercial success individual happiness as well as societal impact. And this cuts across the world of business, academia, social entrepreneurship, and of course, technology. So we'd love to hear from you directly, JP. What is positive psychology about? And more importantly, why is it important for us to develop it? Positive leadership is coming out of three disciplines coming together. One is positive psychology. The other one is neurosciences. And the third one is really mindfulness and all kind of techniques you can use to clear up your mind and be here and now very present in everything you do in your life. So with that, what I found out myself, both through the Pascal, which is an amazing learning experience, but also by reading and also experiencing myself, for sure, in my different jobs at Microsoft, in my foundation, in my home country as well, whose mission is to really reveal the potential of use from all works of life through social entrepreneurships, I've learned the power of that positive leadership. And the way it's defined is really about three circles, like three ripples you do, you know, with a stone on the on surface of a lake. And the first one would be me, you, all of us individually, one by one, and the ability we need to develop to know ourselves, to know oneself, which is super hard, by the way. To also develop a sense of self-esteem, because it's not about just being in love with oneself, but to have some self-confidence in the right way, to give the insurance to do more, to dare doing things that you didn't believe was possible. Because maybe people told you, oh, you never do that. No, you're incapable of doing this. No, well, guess you can't. Yes. <laughs> and, and in the first circle as well, it's about certainly managing your positive source of energy in your body, your mind, cognitive as well capabilities to truly have an impact in everything you do. The second circle ripple is me and others. Whenever I meet with you on this podcast, one-on-one, one to few, one to many, could be family, could be, you know, your company's peers or team. It could be maybe an NGO. How do you actually create with apathy, a deep connection with others. How do you propagate some positive communications? And it's not just kind of defect, but it's going to be very real. That create confidence together, create a safety network for people, a group, a community, a tribe, to have the desire to do something together in a way that is incredibly well-defined. And also to be able to become what I'm calling a coach for good. So someone who acts as a coach. So that's second circle. And the third one, is all about me and the world. 
because I think all of us have somehow, somewhere, or sometimes a desire, I think a big desire growing could have an impact in the world, which could mean different things to different people. And so having the ability again to build the change, to do something about a big problem you see around yourselves, in your country, in Malaysia, in society, in a community, in a place that is really close to you, where you want to lead or drive the change with some others and make an impact. It could be your job as well. So that to me is the, the still the kind of ultimate impact of the positive leadership is the way you prepare yourself and others to have that positive impact in the world. So let me stop there because of, obviously uh, I could get into a lot more details. <laughs> yeah, JP, your experience in a positive leadership definitely speaks volume and we know that you could go on hours for it. But also it's definitely because it's a topic that you are personally passionate and care a lot about. And based on your conversations with other people that you've had on your podcast, your personal experience, as well as your observation, what do you think are some barriers and hurdles that hold people back from actually developing positive psychology and leadership? So there's many. It's very interesting in it because, you know, positive psychology started about 20, 25 years ago. And at a time where psychologists were always obsessed by one thing, all kind of mind get, you know, get in trouble. And so psychologists, as you know, have been working mostly on depression, on problems you can have with your mind, which is fine, it's important actually. But a few of them, like Martin Seligman, like Kim Cameron, like Barbara Frederickson, those are a few names who are really leaders defining positive psychology. So back to your question as an example, to me, one of the very first things to consider is about yourself. That's why I'm always starting with the foundation about me and yourself. You know, start with some basic things like taking care of yourself. Where taking care of yourself is physically being already in a good shape because if you don't have any physical health, you're not going to be in great shape. So workouts, walking, swimming, whatever you like the most, biking, but doing that like every day to make sure your body feels good, feels some energy developing, you know, from your feet to your head, super important. But it continues, of course, it doesn't stop there with some workouts. That would be too easy, right? It would be the magics. <laughs> I think it continues with clearing up your mind. And of course, there's different techniques you can use. Some people love to do meditation every morning when they wake up. It could be even one minute just to breathe. And learn how to breathe very deeply. <laughs> Two minutes. And that, that helps tremendously before you do something else and switching something else. You know, another thing I would mention, which I've learned myself to do a much better job just a few years back, to be honest, I, I did a very poor job for so many decades in my life, sleep, quality of sleep. Yes, I was traveling like crazy, a good excuse, but it's real as well. You're being on, in plans, sometimes it's not easy to sleep the way you should sleep. And, and guess what? If you take care of your sleep, going to bed at the right time for your body and your mind, respecting the duration of sleep, which for most people, the average would be seven hours. You need quality of sleep. And that adds up. If you do all the things in a way, I can tell you, it's going to be starting to unblock a number of issues because guess what? When you wake up and dream your day, you're going to maintain that level of ability to project positively with others. So that's why I'm starting always with that. So I'm not, there's many other things, of course, because 
then as you go and, you know, and as you walk in the street to the meeting, and sometimes you have very bad experiences or issues, challenges happening. It's about the way you are controlling your mind as well on how you react to those things from the smallest to the biggest ones in your life. And that to me is also something you got to be a lot more conscious of. The power on you are to actually control what you can control. And you can control a few things with your mind, actually. That's something I've learned doing more of. <laughs> Love that reminder on getting more sleep and how it's something that we have to do every day, but sometimes that's not prioritized or seen as important. And I have to say, you know, for me, my experience with sleep as well, having read Matthew Walker's book on why we sleep and to really yes. analyze the importance Perfect. of how much of a difference that actually makes to my life absolutely echo that sleep is truly important in every way possible. It's a so, great book. I love, I love yeah. it as well. I mean, even buying though, this serene that I'm sure you have heard gives me my quality of sleep in tons of details <laughs> every moment of my day. But I'm not going to be checking every minute, of course, but it gives you real signals about where you stand. That's so good. And I feel that you know, sleep is also probably an, a topic that we should explore in our podcast as well because it's, it's so important and it's a very underrated topic. So JP, we actually want to take a step back and talk to you about the topic of purpose and purposeful leadership, which is a topic we are aware that you write a lot about and you've spoken to quite a lot of guests about as well. So we know that purpose is so important and humans do come hardwired to find meaning in our lives and desiring to know that our contributions matter and that we have a positive impact that we're creating in the world. So we want to hear your story and your purpose journey. What was that journey like for you in discovering your unique purpose? And how do you sharpen the clarity of that purpose over time? Well, that's again a very, very, you know, fascinating and also a huge question, of course, because uh, I must admit, you know, when I was 30 years younger, I didn't have so much clarity of my purpose, just to be honest. I did not. It was not like I was waking up with my purpose in mind and, okay, that's where I'm going to go. I mean, the reality is, I think what happens, and that's been my experience, all of us go through what Bill George actually was one of my guests recently on the podcast. He's been writing a, a great book on your North Star, Building Shaping Your North Star. And Bill and I discuss, I think, something that I can relate to in my case. What do you call the crucibles of your life? Crucibles are those very defining moments in your life where something happen again, personally, professionally, socially, individually, collectively, that is going to leave a pretty deep mark in your mind, in yourself, and really got you to ask yourself the question on your why. To me, that's the most important question, of course, when you talk about a purpose. It's not about what, what I'm going to do, da, da, da. Yeah, you get there. Okay, no worries. <laughs> but it's really about the why. Why I'm here on this planet. <laughs> today, tomorrow, and to achieve what and to fulfill what entails either of potential, of desire. And so I think in my case, you know, living through a number of those key moments, crucibles, whether it is, you know, moments, of course, of extreme happiness with my family, with the people I love the most, same with my job, moments where I've enjoyed my job all the time, but particularly some unique moments where I could see potentially the impact of the people at Microsoft, the way I could help. Some of the countries I love visiting for so many years and, and changing positively with some support from Microsoft as well. 
I was great mothers, but also moments of tragedies, which we all have in our lives because of a loss. In my case, that was a very, very, of course, unique moment in my life, losing my son a few years back. And I can tell you those moments, of course, have a deep impact on your purpose and what you want to stand for, what you are really to spend time on or not to spend any more time on at all. And I think what has been clarifying to me is, you know, we all those different moments in a way they confirm me the fact that I really want to spend my time where not only I can keep learning, as I told you before, which is always part of my drivers, as I said, and the passions still the same, I hope intact in everything I do, but truly spending time with people that I love the most and not, not just the people I know the most. I, I could meet some strangers I got in love with in a, in a positive sense. I mean, what actually Barbara Ferguson called love with strangers, meaning literally meeting with someone you never met with in a wonderful moment that person with a deep exchange of something you you realize you could do together or something that inspired you at that moment that is going to stay with us, with you. And so to me, it's about really going and shaping those moments and actually preparing for those moments to have a positive impact and helping others positively in their lives. And so over the past few years, a bit privileged, I must say, to be able as an example in my life today to combine some fantastic mission I have with Microsoft, with my foundation, you know, I was having a blast the other night, we were having a celebration for what you call Prix Gabriel, which is the award ceremony every year. And we had our community of 300 entrepreneurs with us, young entrepreneurs from works of life, and all launching a new social enterprise, having an incredible impact on people with disabilities, environment, climate, new way of nutrition, new way of mobility, and so on and so forth. And and then you could feel that vibrancy in the room with the people. And anyway, those are the moments I'm shaping for myself to make sure I can have an impact through others who can ultimately have an impact in the world as well. That's kind of my North Star for the last few years. Uh, but as we said, each one of us has to define his or North Star through some key moments of your life. But taking the time as well to really, you know, raise your head and think about what David Brooks has been calling your second mountain. I love that book too. I'm sure that some of you may have read it. If not, please read it. The second mountain, which is all about this time in your life where you decide not just to climb to a summit of success or so-called success, <laughs> professionally, money or whatever, or, or fame, but really go to the second mountain, which is where you're going to really fulfill the potential of serving others and where you find a lot of joy in helping others more than just helping yourself. Well, JP, it is true. The words of the American author Mark Twain that says the two most important days in yeah. our lives are the day that we were born and the day we find out why. And I love how you've articulated that your why was also discovered through time. It wasn't something you woke up one day and realized and discovered your why, mm -hmm. but it was through all the crucibles of life and the defining moments that you have personally encountered. On that note, we'd love to hear you share a personal anecdote about how you had to also embrace empathy and demonstrate vulnerability in your personal leadership journey that our audience can resonate with. Yeah, many moments again, a great and, and less great moments in a way of showing or showing less empathy, just to be honest as well. And I think uh, 
I got to know it was probably seven years ago now in Microsoft in my professional environment. You know, I was leading the global sales marketing team, so well, 25,000 sellers in the world to basically go through a massive transformation. At the time, Microsoft was mostly, I would say, a software company. You still, you could still define a software company, but actually, we are not yet a cloud first AI first company. And Satya was embarking all of us. And of course, as a member of the CEO issue to Microsoft, I was tasked to transform Microsoft Salesforce from selling software licenses to become actually digital advisors of the digital journey of our customers, which is a very, very different mission for people. And so what I did, because I realized, wow, that's tons of chance for all of our people across the globe, from Malaysia to the US, we are to reskill our people. Soft skills, hard skills, tech skills, industry skills, you name, you name them, tons. So we build use curriculum, lot development, and so on. I realized it was not enough. I mean, learning, fantastic, but you really need to practice a different kind of soft skills for leading people, managing people. And so I decided to embark myself on a coaching program, and I found out a very good partner who is actually someone in my podcast as well. His name is Michael Bungestania. He's the best author or setter of Coaching Habits, a great book to read, by the way. And you know, I'm sure you know it because we've been, from well, that day, we've been actually using a methodology across the company as well. And I would say that that methodology I decided to use in myself because I've always believed that you cannot, as a leader, as a manager, or as a leader, you cannot ask your people and team to do something if you don't do it yourself. And so I decided one day to go on stage with a big sales convention and had 3,000 managers in front of me. It was in Vegas, I think it was. And I was actually coached real time on stage by Michael Bugestani. And I can tell you, it was not scripted at all. It was a very challenging moment because I was basically for 45 minutes with Michael on stage. And Michael is the master of asking you not just the seven questions he is teaching you in his, in his book, but many other questions to really reveal what's the problem with you, JP, today. <laughs> What's the real challenge you have to tackle? And it's not just one question as you, it's many other questions. And so by exposing myself with all my doubts, my uncertainty, and people, all my just seeing me struggling, you know, literally on stage <laughs> with less clarity than I used to have, because I'm someone who usually pretty clear on my communication. Well, that had a huge impact because after that session, I received literally hundreds of messages from people saying, JP. I mean, I want to be, to become a coach myself because you've been showing us that, Hey, you can be vulnerable. <laughs> you have your own issues, challenges, and you are counting on us as well to feel that that's exactly right. <laughs> because I cannot feel that by myself. I'm not smart enough to embrace that complexity. I need help. And all of you need the same help as well from your people. It's not just we, all of us, as we engage as a coach, like a person. So anyway, it has been a wonderful moment for me, very challenging too. I'm so much grateful to have done that actually, because it, it stayed with me and many people still today remind me of that most. Hey, JP, you, you remember on the stage? Yes, I do remember the stage. <laughs> Thank you so much, JP, for sharing that. Truly a moment of vulnerability. And we are going to head straight to a rapid fire question session. Janice, why don't you kick us off with question number one? Yes, super excited for this. JP, are you ready? 
I'm ready. Let's do it. <laughs> awesome. So question number one, what is one thing people may find surprising about you? Maybe they might find surprising that I could have become a football or soccer player in my youth. Maybe. Yeah. I was not good enough, I'm afraid. So <laughs> finally I didn't move in that, she didn't move in that career. <laughs> Love it. That could have been. What does your morning routine look like? So workout clearly every morning and just a moment with myself. It doesn't need to be long, five minutes with no phones, no PCs, nothing just to reflect on what are going to be the best moments for the day to come. Really positive way to start the day. Third question, what's the most memorable experience from your experience as a podcaster? In a way, I think probably one of the most powerful moments I had was with Kim Cameron. It was fun as, as well, but Kim Cameron used a technique he called the best self-portrait, which is a technique where he collected from people I got to know the most, family, friends, peers in my business, and Kim sent them an email asking them to write a few lines on the best stories where JP was at his best. When Kim read that back to me, wow, that was, that was kind of amazing and it was kind of humbling as well, but in such a strong way. And that, that was a big surprise because I was not expecting the stories and the full stories. I could remind them, but when you have yourself in your mirror, that's a self-portrait, but someone who's done the work for you, not you. And you reach somewhere else, that's incredibly powerful. That sounds very impactful, JP. Definitely something we would love to explore one day. <laughs> All right. And the next question you have, what's one question that you wish people would ask you more often? You know, I think people don't ask me the following question, probably, which is about, hey, what has been the happiest moment of your day, of your week? <laughs> moment of joy. <laughs> people don't often go there. I don't know why. Well, on that note, JP, what is your happiest moment of your day today? Of course, that acts blow of this. I mean, that's the, the session I mean right here, right now. <laughs> you are driving my positive energy out of myself, Janice and, and Saran. I love that. I love that, JP. So good. So good. And also, this is a question that we love to ask all our Explore This guests. What is one thing that you recently explored that surprised you? You know, in, in many ways, I think doing this podcast has surprised me. I mean, <laughs> you can relate to that probably. It's been a year now and it's a journey. It's a journey with yourself and, you know, getting with some levels of intimacy in a way with your guests, as you know, is an art. It's tough. <laughs> getting to know them in advance when you don't know them, because sometimes you know the guest. You and I met briefly, but you know me a bit. But sometimes you never met the people. And so you try to create a report. And so that to me has been incredibly surprising, but in a very good way. It tells of the ability each one of us has, and forget the podcast format itself, on connecting deeply with other people. And I think that to me has been the biggest positive surprise on, well, if you're intentional, preparing for the moment to meet with people, it could be really powerful. Absolutely, JP. We 100% resonate with that. And finally, knowing that you have conquered Southeast Asia's highest mountain, Mount Kinabalu, <laughs> what is your next big mountain that you're looking forward to conquer? 
Wow. You know, but, but really my biggest mountain is, is all about impact I can have with my foundation to, to be, to be clear. I, I love climbing too, by the way, and I'm sure I know, but I'm not claiming Mount Everest yet, but <laughs> I look forward to do some other, some other summits with my daughters as well, who love, who love climbing. No, I would say with my foundation, but certainly love to have a bigger impact and again, enabling a new generation of positive leaders who can really become the entrepreneurs for the common good in the world. And I'm doing that for now in France with views, but as you know me, I'm a global citizen. <laughs> and so one day I hope I can help as well beyond the boundaries of my country and doing more with many other countries in the world on the safe change happening in their place. Perfect way to wrap up this episode, JP. We wanted to thank you so much and also give a shout out to the Positive Leadership Podcast that JP hosts. If any one of you has not tuned into it, don't forget to check it out. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, that's where you can find JP. And with that, JP, thank you so much for sharing your journey with us over the decades spent in Microsoft and more importantly about what you're so passionate about on positive psychology and leadership. And we'll want to ask you if you have any final words to leave with our listeners. No, it's been a wonderful moment. I mean, with most of you, Janice and Sarah Han, and I think let's keep up that positive energy with your other guests and looking forward to stay in touch together. So thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much, JP. It's been such a pleasure having you on the podcast. If you've stuck around to the end of this episode, we want to say thank you for exploring with us. And if you don't already, please follow us on Spotify, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and review, and most importantly, share this episode with your friends. We'd love to hear from you. So you can also connect with us on Instagram using the Instagram handle Explore This Podcast. A-C-T-S-P-L-O-R-E This Podcast. New episodes for Explore This drops every Monday at 8pm. See you then! Thank you.